1: now
4: <clears throat> All right, folks. Welcome to Nino's Corner.TV. I think this will be YouTube friendly. I'm joined with Mark Huffman, um, author of the book. You want to show the book? You yeah, have two books, sure.
5: actually. They're they're pretty extensive, too. I got, I got two books. So the first one is called Leviathan. Sequel is called The Fallen. The Fallen. Uh, now,
4: these are something- obviously they're fictional books, but... They're related to the Bible, correct? That's exactly right. And so, everything that's happening today, when I when I look at it, everything that's transpiring today, it takes me back to the Bible uh, and what's in Scripture. And I think it's important for people to really look at this because I believe we've been lied to. We've been lied. to. I, mean, I know NASA's lying. I know the the whole uh, you know uh, theory of evolution to me is a lie. Now you know once you start realizing that 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 these are entities and principalities that are not of this world and um there were giants that roamed this planet and still do correct Mm -hmm. i mean how do you i mean that throws a monkey wrench
5: in everything i've ever learned in school oh sure you know it's it's hard to speculate do they still are they still on the earth well i can tell you from scripture that well let's get into it so the first time you see the nephilim is is in genesis 6 the beginning which is, you know, I, I feel like even strong, committed Christians kind of skip over this stuff. I've never heard a sermon about this. I actually <laughs> preached a sermon about this because it, so it, it, it like, sounds fairy tale. When exactly, people
4: hear this, it sounds
5: just like some some fairy tale. It sounds like something out of Cinderella or like yeah, so sure. White. So when when I did my little uh, uh, sermon on this, one of the points that I made and kind of what I ended with was. I absolutely agree that that Christians approach this this sort of thing, and this isn't the only thing, but the Nephilim in particular. Um, as well, we we better not talk about it; it makes it sound crazy. And and my point was, after going through all of this, all the scripture that's relevant to it, all the supernatural uh, other other supernatural stuff in scripture that we don't really talk about, uh, the foundation of your faith as a Christian is that the Creator God of the universe came and was born of a virgin did a bunch of miracles that defied physics physically died and physically rose from the dead so that you could spend personally for eternity uh existence in a giant golden and gemstone city cube like that's that's what you believe if you are a, a any sort of orthodox christian and you're telling me that you can't get past a verse that says angels took human form and had giant babies with human women? Well, I'll tell you what, an unbelieving world doesn't take the doctrine of Jesus Christ any more seriously, Uh, I mean, can't take it any more seriously than that. So, I'm not saying, and believe every crazy thing, I'm saying if scripture says it, there's nothing in scripture uh, as far as having a supernatural aspect, that is more difficult to believe for a materialist or an atheist than everything about Jesus. So, I, I guess my message is: if if you're struggling with that, get over it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get over it. Own it. Learn how to defend it. Learn something about it. But don't skip it, also, because it's it's fascinating. It's super super interesting. The Old Testament is not dry or boring like it's. I mean it it rivals Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or whatever, except that you know it's historically true.
4: That's that's what I'm getting at is that it does seem like that. You know, when you read it, I'm like there's it's no different than Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. I mean it's it's oh, yeah. it's and the people that I've had on my show, Gary Wayne, LA Marzuli, people like that that talk about these giants. I mean, uh if you just uh, learn about the Kandahar Giant um hmm. and things that happen with those units in in the uh, in uh, I think it was Afghanistan I have no doubt to yeah. believe this stuff and 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 then when you really learn that they they shut down these excavation sites these archaeological archaeological digs and the Smithsonian comes in the government comes in black hawk helicopters come flying around and shut them down when they're uncovering these giant bones i mean they just that's it you're done yeah. you're out of here you know what i mean so there's so much hidden from us. And I and for me, like we need to get to the bottom of this. We have to get to the bottom of this. And the way you do that, in my opinion, is go back to the Bible because which I can't believe I, I left the Bible in my awakening and I'm right back at it again. It's it's mm-hmm. it's an it's been an amazing journey for me because I find myself right back at start. Yeah.
5: Uh the history of, of well, the biblical giants is fascinating actually and it it clears up a lot of a lot of issues that some people have with how could a moral god do all this stuff uh any it turns out that most times that, that god tells people to hey you got to wipe out everybody or he himself does it with the flood there are giants involved and, you know it's hard to say that means that any any nephilim was automatically evil because you have to think that they're sentient and they have free will, but still that's, that's what tends to happen. So the Nephilim,
4: um, are, they are fallen, they are fallen angels. So the giants were what was the fallen angels that were created with man, with women are what formed the right. giants. Am I right in saying well, that?
5: So, so a couple of different views and I'll tell you mine. Well, the, the first view that, that I don't find, Compelling at all. And this com- kind of comes at it from, I believe that the Bible is true, but I also have a big problem with the idea that actual spiritual angels took human form and then procreated successfully with human women. And that view of the Nephilim is that it's, it's kind of the, the sons of God. Let's, let's read the verse because that's, that's where it all kind of starts, right? Genesis six, four. Uh, and this is immediately before the, the story of Noah and the flood. So this immediately prefaces it. Uh, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, also afterwards, so we can talk about that too, when the sons of God, and in Hebrew that phrase is bene Elohim, came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So there's one view that says the sons of God were the righteous people, like from the genealogy of Noah that you see in Genesis 5. And the daughters of men were the evil people from like the the genealogy of Cain, which you see in Genesis four. So they were all humans. uh, And the Nephilim were just, I don't know, kind of, kind of Conan, the barbarian sort of all pure human though. Uh, The main textual reason I don't find that compelling at all is in Job. uh, I think it's 37 where it's the only other time that the phrase Ben Elohim is used in Scripture. And and God is talking to Job and he says, where were you when all the sons of God shouted for joy? And he's talking about creation. That can't be human. That has to be angels. So the only textual clue that we have is sons of God are definitely angels. Could the angels be be extraterrestrials? Well, I I think when it functionally and pragmatically, um, I don't know if we would be able to tell the difference. Functionally, an angel from a spiritual dimension taking on human form. What, what's the what's the functional difference from our standpoint? Right. So I, I, think I mean, it's I, just I have Alis a matter of terms.
4: Right. I've had you know Ali I mean? on, and he's saying that we are confusing that, or it means literally that they were from, uh, you know, other dimensions, other planets. Uh, th- that UFOs are the angels of
5: today. Like basically, what we're seeing in the uh, sky. I think it's speculation, but if that it, it has to be speculation, right? Until you you know snag one and, and tie yeah. it up and get it talking. But would that surprise me if that was true? No, Not a little bit. No, no. Yeah, I mean, would, I mean, would it conflict with anything you see in scripture? Nope. Not me a little bit. Um. But yeah, I think there's all sorts of spiritual dimensions that that you know us in, in the hopefully post-materialist Western world maybe will wake up to um you know within our lifetimes cuz again the world is way more interesting than than uh, sort of this materialist christianity and obviously not all of it but there is that kind of tinge to it you know what i mean like yeah. our christianity today in the modern world is tinged with that materialism that again says well let's 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 try to reconcile genesis 1 with the, the atheistic naturalistic materialistic theory of macroevolution it doesn't work it wasn't meant to you know what I mean? So, anyway, different subject, big subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I, I, for what it's worth, I'm a physician, so I'm you know terminally educated at the highest level you can be in the sciences, and I also am a young Earth creationist. So I'll tell you right now that that Genesis. That's one, that's,
4: that's hard to believe that even goes together. <laughs> uh, you, it's more common
5: than anything. Really? So and you are a creationist through and through. Oh my goodness! Yes. And I'm not stupid about it. I, I, can, I can talk about uh, everyone from Hutton to Darwin to you know, E.O. Wilson and Dawkins more than people who think they believe them. I understand the other side's point of view, I mean, there are multiple sides, better than most people who, who say they, they espouse them. And, um, you know, I've had this conversation a million times, but when it comes down to it, every single giant of science throughout history, and again, different subject, was a young Earth creationist. A young Earth creationist, by which right. I mean they, they read the Bible and they say this is true. For heaven's sake, uh, both Isaac Newton and Kepler calculated the age of the Earth to around 4,000 BC, like that was start date to those guys. And if you go through the history of science, I mean Francis Bacon, who came up with the very idea of empirical science, like observable, testable, repeatable, um believed that the Earth was 6,000 years old. uh Kepler, you know, who, who's the giant of anatomy, Newton, the, f- the father of physics. Pascal, who invented most math,
4: but what what um, about carbon dating? I mean, that goes. Oh, back super here. question. So,
5: when you say carbon dating, do you know what the half life? So that that's specifically what most people say when they they say carbon dating, because they typically just have heard the term somewhere is radioisotopic dating. So, carbon dating in particular is is the decay from C fourteen to C twelve. That half life is like six thousand years. So, if someone says Carbon dating has proved that the Earth is billions of years old. I immediately know that they don't know what they're talking about because with that short of a half-life, with that particular kind of radioisotopic dating, you can't even theoretically date anything past 200,000 years. Um, But you believe the Earth is 6,000 years old. Yes. And so so you need three things for carbon dating, for any kind of radioisotopic dating. And, And a lot of this subject comes back to your presuppositions, to your axioms. Uh, whether it's geology or or cosmology or or um, biology, but especially this. you got to know three things to accurately carbon date or do any other kind of date, rubidium strontium or lead lead or whatever. You have to know the original daughter isotope and parent isotope ratio. You can't know that. You have to guess. You have to assume that the rate of decay was constant. You can't know that. You have to guess. And you also have to assume that it's a closed system, that there's no anything coming in or out. You you can't know that. You have to guess. So
4: Um, so when they carbon date bones, relics, things of that nature, it's a guess. And they can't go past the half-life of 6,000 years?
5: Right? It ends up being functionally like 100,000 years. Um, but I wouldn't say it's a guess. It's based on guesses. If you want to look up something interesting, we don't have to go into it because I don't think I could in enough detail. Uh, It's called the R.A.P.E. Project, and it stands for Radioisotopes in the Age of the Earth. The the end point, the most interesting part of that is the people who ran it, who are Christians who believe that you can carbon date a diamond, which most people who who accept uniformitarianism billions of years old earth would never even get into it, but they sent samples of a diamond to be carbon dated and you could do it. That's bonkers that there. And there there's a million different things that you can look into. Um, when it comes to radio dating, I'll, I'll, I'll text you some, some books when I, I'm not going to look for them right now, but there's some, there's some interesting stuff. Like the point is I clearly have done a little bit of reading about this. You know what I mean? Like, I've bothered to not just stop. Well, I don't believe any of that stuff. No, like, I, I could talk pretty intelligently about things like radioisotopic dating. There is no... There's nothing in that entire subject or any other subject that you can find that that definitively conflicts with a 6,000-year-old Earth. So... This this discussion actually anyway. took
4: a different direction than I was wanting it to go which is good. Okay, yeah, this is good. Sorry. No, this is good. This is good because basically with your background and your research you're saying you believe 100% you're a creationist and evolution is a lie.
5: Uh so let's let's define uh-huh. terms. Darwinian macroevolution is utter nonsense and as soon as Story. like for example and that happens all the time you, you cut out of a, a little phlogiston? bit you cut out a, you froze up go ahead and say it again hold on have you ever heard of something called a phlogiston
4: no explain
5: yeah nobody has nobody has um so before fire common every day humans have used it forever you know what i mean it's not like some esoteric rare thing it just or observe so up until probably 400 years ago or so uh fire wasn't understood at all i guess the the best way to explain this is in the context of a guy named joseph Priestley, who discovered oxygen uh he also discovered nitrous oxide which is important for my profession i'm an anesthesiologist that's still on the card this guy was a giant of chemistry like you read any any chemistry textbook, any history, he's he's going to be up there. He until his death, he was a promote, proponent of something called phlogiston theory, um, where the idea of fire, uh, and he defended this on on the highest level you can defend it that fire was created when something that could burn emitted phlogiston particles because it got hot enough. He was absolutely convinced that the explanation. In discovered oxygen, right? Um, except, here's the thing, it's nonsense. There's no such thing as a phlogiston. It just, it just doesn't exist. If you look at a list, and you can literally get on Wikipedia and just look up superseded theories, everything, for a thousand years, human anatomy was understood uh, through the lens of the, the studies of a guy named Galen, who, who turns out, thanks to a guy named Vesalius, uh, who discovered he realized, wait, wait, wait. Galen's anatomy, which we've understood like medically to be explanatory for human anatomy, was based on monkeys. So much of it is completely bonkers. And of course, this guy said, "Hey, uh, Galen's anatomy is wrong," and they were like, "Mother effer, you Galen's anatomy is wrong. This is what we've understood for a thousand years. Guess what? It's based on monkeys. Happens all the time. So my point is macroevolution." when darwin came up with it, he didn't understand genetics uh he didn't understand dna when dna was discovered by watson and crick and crick had such a problem with Darwinian evolution that he ended up uh, being a, a firm proponent of something called panspermia which is that aliens seeded life on the earth um he was like i can't i can't do it and the reason he can't do it basically is, what you
4: see on ancient aliens on the history channel constantly
5: yeah this is the guy who discovered dna because when you discover dna the only mechanism for genetic change becomes mutation. There has never in any species ever been one example, one example of an information adding beneficial mutation in anything. There have been beneficial mutations. They're always in a very specific context. For example, there there was a beetle that got with, with a mutation didn't, there's a population of wingless beetles on an island, uh, because everyone with a wing was, was swept out to sea and died. So that's a beneficial mutation. But it destroyed the information. Every mutation, I mean, mutations cause cancer. Mutations just kill you dead. There is a list of pathologies due to single-point mutations. Uh, mutations are famously destructive They do not add anything to anything, and for life to have gone from a first theoretical single-celled organism to every single species of every single living thing that ever existed, how many mutations? Because that's the only thing you can do. You can only add to it. It's a mistake. You don't have enough time. You can't ever have enough time. It will never. There's a guy named Lee Spetner, and if if you're well, unless the Earth is billions of years old, even then. Here's, here's why it doesn't work. Um, because every single mutation deletes information. That's why. it's Mutations mm. are deleterious. They don't build. So there's a guy named Lee Spatner who is not a creator. So it's not improvements. It's not improvements. It's detriments. Even in the very, very, very rare example of when it's a beneficial, there's still a detriment in any other context than the specific thing, like if you're a beetle on an island. You know what I mean? but uh, mutations kill you um there's a guy named Lee Spetner who is he, he, mm-hmm. a very very good book called Not By Chance and he goes through some of this stuff there's a there's a guy named Fred Hoyle too atheist not a christian at all you don't you don't have to get into christians or creationists to get into the uh, how how absurd darwinian macroevolution is now um but he says saying that uh, so, so let me back up. There is such a thing as what was called microevolution or speciation. And that's actually where Darwin got a lot of his ideas. He was he was really into uh, pigeon breeding, fancy pigeons. You want to look up some crazy pigeons? You can look up some crazy pigeons. Well, I mean, and I just he look at them. some dog breeds, and that would show me. Like... That's the other example, dog breeds. So you can breed a gray wolf into every single breed of dog. And you know that because they did. That's where every single dog breed came from. But isn't that
4: in a sense a
5: microcosm of evolution? So that's what Darwin thought. Darwin thought if you could get small changes, and he saw it with pigeon breeders who were breeding pigeons on purpose, and then he saw it uh, in the Galapagos Islands where he just made observations in nature, you see it in dog breeds. You can breed a gray wolf into a Dalmatian or a Chihuahua or a Great Dane. you know, do you know about Dalmatians or just dog breeds in general, bulldogs?
4: Yeah, I, they're, they're,
5: <laughs> they're, they're super, super sick genetic mutants.
4: Right. right? The, the, the bulldog is
5: a retarded breed, correct? Yeah. It's, yes. it's, yeah. It's like a, yes. yeah. You can never breed a bulldog back to a gray wolf because the bulldog doesn't have all the information that a parent that that parent generation has. It, here's an example if you have a population of like, say, like Darwin's finches, right, with with the whole variety of um, genetic capability that that they have, and you split those populations, and on one, you have a context, you have an environment where all the seeds are very small, and they fall into cracks in the rocks. And then you have one environment where all the seeds are very big with very tough shells. So over time, you're going to have those populations Differentiate what what is commonly called microevolution, which does not make them anything but finches. Everything about a finch, they still are. Uh, but eventually, the island with the big nuts, those beaks are going to be bigger. And the island with the small nuts and the little cracks, the beaks are going to be smaller, because various forces have pushed certain characteristics of the, that parent population. Away, because they're going to die. You know, little beaks, you're not going to crack the nuts, you're going to die. Big beaks, you're not going to get the nuts and the you know the, the seeds in the cracks, you're going to die. They stay finches. They don't go outside of their, the the Bible calls kinds, baramine. So, what, going back to Lee Spetner, what he said is saying that mutation can lead to macroevolutionary changes, where it's single-celled to a larger animal. And then branch out into dogs and cats and cattle and birds and reptiles. It's like saying that you're a shopkeeper and you lose a little money on every single sale. But you think you can make it up in volume. You can't sell enough. You're losing money every transaction. That's microevolution. You're losing money every transaction. You were speciating. You can never go upwards. You can never go So it's a downgrade every time then.
1: Order now fighterflare.com betterflare.com
4: is what you're saying, mutations. That's exactly what I'm saying. And so like the genetic blueprint is there's mutations in that blueprint, but the genetic code is not going to transform into a new genetic
5: code. and can. into a... Wow. Okay. It that makes sense it. to me. So let, let me tell you how else it makes sense. Um, let's go back to Genesis six, right? So there there's, you'll hear this. If you obviously look, I've written two books about the antediluvian world. The third one, which I'm writing right now, which you can um, you get out. Where can you get those books? Yeah. Hold on. Can we share a screen? Let me sh- you, just Amazon's probably the easiest. Amazon? Place.
4: Okay.
5: Yeah. Eight bucks paperback. They're little paperbacks. They're award winning. I got a dang trophy for one of them. And the other one made the finals of the uh, IBPA Ben Franklin's and sci-fi fantasy. Um, which obviously I don't treat them as sci-fi fantasy, but the the best the best description I've ever had of them was a uh, Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, but with dinosaurs. <laughs> which I'm okay, like, yeah, explain, okay, explain dinosaurs. It. Let's, let's it. talk
4: about. I, I really want to stick on this. This is a very good topic for my audience. Yeah, yeah no, I didn't know we time. were going to go this direction. We'll get. We'll have you on again to talk about other stuff, but right now, so Let's holes. stay. Let's stay on this. Let's stay on this um, because
5: can, you're can making a lot of valid about- points here. What's that? <laughs> Uh, can I make one point about how yeah, yeah. microevolution fits into a Christian historical grammatical hermeneutic worldview? Where you just you look at the Bible and you say this is this is what happened because this is what it says, and I trust that it's true. Um, how did Noah fit all the animals on the ark? Well, that's that's so many. Well, here's here's the and there are books that have really really gone in depth into this, but but you looking at the observable truth of speciation of microevolution. You don't need to take two cheetahs, two leopards, two jaguars, two lions, two tigers on the ark. You take two pantherakines. And because of speciation, that population will turn in to those. They will never be anything but big cats. You can do the same with cattle, you know, and you get like 14 there, right? Or birds um you don 't have to take every breed of dog, right you can take right. two wolf kinds, right so all of a sudden, the number of animals because Christians can absolutely look at microevolution or speciation and say, Well yeah, that happens it fits imperfectly, and this is what i 'm talking about everything in science fits in perfectly with a you know a young earth creation worldview um without almost even trying you don 't have to take every single kind. Every single species of animals today, you just have to take two of every kind, and then they will speciate. And I'll tell you what uh, what you can get into if you start thinking about bottlenecks. Uh, are you familiar with the term bottlenecks um, So, if, in a genetic context? No, go ahead. Okay, so a bottleneck is where some some catastrophic event uh, winnows the population down into a very, very small fraction, right? Think about this. Every single kind of person, every single kind of animal, every single breed of big cat or whatever, like all the variation in frogs, for example, um, came from those, from a biblical standpoint, um, from just those, those organisms on the ark. How, what percent of the animals alive in the antediluvian pre-flood world uh, do you think made it onto that ark? I mean, a fraction of 1%, right? You know Well, I mean? obviously dinosaurs didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Oh, yeah. Go that, ahead. Go a, ahead. No, a, no fa-
4: I'm just... I'm bringing fantastic
5: it up. Intro. That's a fantastic intro. Um, it, th- what I'm saying is that the, I think the variety, obviously it's just speculation, but the flood would have been the biggest bottleneck in history where, what, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people narrowed down to eight people and so we still have that this expansive you know ethnicities that you see on earth today what kind of genetic information for humans and other other animals too but for humans in particular was lost that originally was on the earth for those first you know 1600 years like were there other species of melanin because right now every skin color every hair color it just comes from brown eumelanin, melanin black eumelanin, melanin and pheomelanin which is red we're not going to talk about gingers I know that's, you know, nobody nobody likes redheads. But <laughs> I'm kidding. We love you gingers. <laughs> um go ahead. but uh anyway, it's just interesting speculation. Uh but dinosaurs. So where did the name dinosaur come from? You know? No, go ahead. A guy named Sir Richard Owen came up with the word dinosaur meaning terrible lizard in okay, like yeah. 1841. Um Marco Polo wrote wrote about dinosaurs. Uh, Roman historians, Greek historians wrote about dinosaurs. You have legend... Sorry, he didn't write about dinosaurs. What he wrote about was dragons. There was no word for dinosaur. But dinosaur means terrible lizard. There are... Obviously, there's mythology, too. But for heaven's sake, there's mythology about lions, you know what I mean? There's mythology about all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, dragons have been mythologized. But that doesn't mean that there weren't real historical accounts of, of dragons any more than, well, you look at like Hercules and, and the Nemean lion or whatever and say, well, the lions are mythology because there's a story of mythology about a lion. You know what I mean? So it, it's a huge rabbit hole, but did did Noah bring dinosaurs on the ark? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why? Why on earth not? Do you know how many kinds of dead huge animals there are besides dinosaurs?
0: I mean, mammoths. Ele-
5: ma- not just mammoths uh, Bronotherium, elasmatherium. But
4: um, isn't um, sar- I, sar- I sarcus guess? Sarcus. Is, would you say an elephant is a mutation from a mammoth?
5: It would be the same kind, yeah. But if you look at megafauna, oh, I got a great book. I don't remember what it's called, and I am not going to go get it right now. But the kinds of of elephants. Um, there's tons of them, bonkers tusks, not just mammoths, but mastodons and like bronatheriums, things with like big scoop tusks and all sorts of stuff. They're the biggest mammal that's ever existed is something called an endricotherium or a paraceratherium. And it's a rhino kind, but it's almost as big as like a sauropod, like a brontosaurus. It's bonkers. You can, I mean, you can look up skeletons. Um, non dinosaur extinct megafauna don't get enough love. Um, There's something called an elasmatherium, which is um, basically a woolly rhino. But what I'm saying is, if you look at history and say, well, if if Noah would have brought dinosaurs on the ark, then they would be around humans. Well, so would they fit? What kind of, and this kind of goes back to just thinking about it as more than just a... And obviously I've done this because I'm writing books about Noah and I'm trying to think, how would this have really been? Like, how can I take the text and like, what not a Sunday school story? How would I have taken it? And one of the things you would do if you are tasked like Noah was with bringing all of at least representatives from every kind of animal, including dinosaurs, but other huge animals like elephants or mammoth kinds or whatever on the ark to save them. You are going to want to do a couple of things. You're going to want to get juveniles. Well, really, that's the main thing, is you want juveniles for two reasons. You're limited in size. Even though the Ark was freaking big, you're limited in size. You also want the maximum reproductive lifespan. So the average dinosaur was the size of like a sheep. You had huge, 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 huge animals. But you're not going to take those on the Ark. You're not going to take... You know, you you notice uh you've seen those huge tortoises, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. tortoise like, and they're, alligator. They're... I mean, yeah, 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 right, right, right. So, so you can look up a baby. The biggest one is called an Aldabra tortoise, and it gets big enough that a kid can ride on. it. It's almost big enough that a human can ride on. It lives 150 years. We went to a reptile symposium, like a, a reptile exhibit, um, where they were selling baby sulcata tortoises. And sulcata tortoises, I mean, you look at them up; they're, they're they're the size of a you know a big dog. They're yeah. huge. They live a hundred years. The babies are like yeah. that. They're like that. So which one are you going to take if you want to maximize a reproductive lifespan of the animals that you're going to bring on the ark? You're going to bring big ones that require a lot of food and require a lot of oh, space. M- medium. I mean you, you take medium, you take, you take juveniles. Not babies, but you take juveniles. So um it's 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 a that's such a huge So animal. a sea
4: tortoise would be a mutation of a tortoise, or, or I mean, that looks like it's a, mm-hmm. a that looks like it's that a positive a mutation. You know what that I mean? Could that could be a
5: different thing. Uh, why and there, is that different? Are... And,
4: but hold on. But if your argument holds water, then you'd have to say dinosaurs have been here
5: for no longer than six years, and are all were also destroyed in the flood. Uh, most of them were, uh, but I, I, I would absolutely make the argument that if you look up. Just Google dragons in history. You're going to see historical accounts from everyone from serious Roman historians to Marco Polo in China. Right. Every single people group is going to have some sort of, yeah, maybe it's not a dragon. Maybe it's, you know, the, the Native Americans in the kind of Southwest region talking about thunderbirds. They don't treat them. They don't talk about them. They don't write about them as mythological animals. But they also didn't have the word dinosaur. And I'm not saying every single account is a dinosaur. I am saying that it is reasonable to believe that the serious accounts of historical dragons are very, very likely to be historical accounts of what we now call dinosaurs. And 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 that is not original to me. Again, you want to go down a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole to see some stuff that might kind of make you go. It would be the same thing like you experienced with the giants and Kandahar and all that stuff. Um, just look up art. So the giants, giants and, and the dinosaurs would have been wiped out 6,000 years ago with this flood? or uh, Most of them. So, yeah, let's let's get back to the, to the Nephilim. There's an interesting little bit. Where it says, and we uh, read that verse, where it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. And then you say, well, if they were all wiped out, did some survive? So is that not true? And I'll say, well, n- no, 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 no. Uh, although you do read about them in Scripture, um, you get to numbers, and when you start seeing a like, so after Moses dies, the leadership of the Israelites go goes to Joshua. And he kind of takes them in in numbers talks about their campaigns in the promised land to you know basically rid it of the Canaanites right um, then we also saw the Nephilim the sons of this is from numbers thirteen um, there we also saw the Nephilim the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim uh, Goliath was an Anakim uh, and we became like grasshoppers in our own side and so we were in their sight uh that's that's kind of joshua and caleb and the spies going out and spying this land and saying they're freaking full of giants man it's full of nephilim um now joshua and caleb didn't say well no they're not that big he said they said well yeah but we can take them and you see that all the way up to david david doesn't just fight goliath later on there's a little passage talking about all the other giants david fought it talks about the scripture talks about david's mighty men fighting giants there's a guy named Beniah who is overlooked, and most most people haven't heard of him. But he's all throughout the story of David and Solomon. He ends up being captain of David's guard, and then he's Solomon's assassin. But he's super dope. But he he fights giants.
4: Well, here's uh, what's crazy: is that the Native Americans also talk about that here in the Southwest? Sure. Uh, there's tribes of Native Americans that talk about confrontations with giants, and people just chalk it up yeah. to fol- folklore. But it yeah, all no coincides right. with the Bible, right? The the, sure it does. the Native Americans talk about. Uh, altercations with giants that turned cannibal and they were eating the tribes. And yeah. there's actually documentation on this. There's, a, I think there's a sure. cave in uh, Arizona or Nevada, maybe Utah, somewhere in the Southwest. I could have that wrong. People might want to fact check that, but, uh, talking about there's certain tribes talking about their confrontations with redheaded giants.
5: Yeah. Redheads. <laughs> They're everywhere. Everywhere. Um, Patagonia. Um, in South in South America, you can read stories there about the first people who the first Europeans to discovered Patagonia, talking about giants. I mean, huge, not not like they're six foot six, but like ten feet tall. Yeah. Um, but going back to so, did they survive? Does that mean the Nephilim survived the flood? Well, what I would say is, no. All the Nephilim in the pre-flood world would have died, which means that. Other angels after the flood just got horny, so they and, reproduced. And they they reproduced. So they, they just they just did the same thing. Some more horny angels said, eh, "You know, I we, that flood thing was bad, but also chicks are hot, so let's have some more <laughs> giant babies with them." And then you know you can counter that with, "Well, but they would have seen the consequence of that first group of fallen angels, that first group of ben Elohim, to which I would respond." when has seeing the consequence of sin ever stopped people from doing that again? You know what I mean? We are perfectly aware of all sorts of historical examples of the consequence of all sorts of sin, every sin that you can do it. People still murder and commit adultery and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? Even though, yeah. well, this is going to end that badly, but in the moment, look, this is what, this is what I, this is what I did. Um, so that, that would be my answer for, well, where did they come from? Did they survive the flood? Nah, just more different angels got a horny.
4: I don't, I don't yeah, know that actually right. makes complete sense to me. So what I mean? Yeah. Man. Um,
5: anyway, yeah, again, it's speculation. Don't know. So then,
4: sure. I mean, if, if giants are still around, which, you know, I've seen, you know, footage here and there, you know, on TikTok and things like that could be doctored up, could be photoshopped, but there's some, it looks pretty convincing, um, of, uh, huge, uh, Looks like people walking around on top of a mountain. You know, there's and it just doesn't look like that. And there's one guy out of Mexico who filmed it. There's another guy out of Brazil. There's another kid up in Canada who filmed it. Um, I think maybe they are. Maybe they have their own, I guess, sectors of land. I don't know of uh of places. Do they come in and out of the earth? I mean, I, how do we not see them? Like, how? Yeah. If, you know, that's my question is, where are they? Like, how are they playing for the NBA? Where are they? Like, well, yeah, how come I, we cannot see these things? Are they off? Are they, you know, there's so many disappearances in national parks and things of that nature, which people just go missing all the time. And you got to wonder, yeah. are we going places we should not go? Are they,
5: I mean... It's hard to, it's hard to say. It's hard to say, but, you know, I, I'm sure some of those are hoaxes and some of those are exaggerations. But look, again... If if you find unequivocally that one of them is real and there are real giants on the earth, should that shake your worldview at all? Or as a Christian, should you go? All right, yeah. I mean, because for me, it's it's a lot the latter. Like, would that it would be really interesting? I mean, look, if I can get crazy rich, no, but it shakes the foundation of evolution. It absolutely does, and what it does is and who knows if this is a factor too because again i'm sure you've looked into some of the the guys in the Smithsonian and the history of the Smithsonian who tend to like disappear this sort of thing yes you know what i mean and i'm not a huge conspiracy theorist well oh, maybe yeah, getting more and more of a conspiracy theorist but it's you know it's it's only conspiracy if if um there are conspiracies there do exist conspiracies people have uh, perpetrated conspiracies in history and and uh, if you are committed to an atheistic worldview, and you were aware of the existence of this evidence that some of the crazy supernatural aspects of scripture are true, you were not gonna want it out. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Well that's but how it, they
4: keep control is through the, the possession of this knowledge. Sure. I mean, basically we're walking around with amnesia. I mean, I guess the only manual we really have, and it's a great manual is the Bible. Like I said, I've, you know, during my awakening process, I left the Bible and now I'm right back at it. So to me, you know, that's, you know, it is like a life manual, but I'm still, um, searching for truth and there's some kind of evidence of, of uh, what I'm finding out right now is that I didn't, everything I learned in school was wrong. Yeah. And again, you know, when, I, I look, mean, math, reading, you need that
5: science, mm-hmm. but history and a lot of the, it's, it's been fabricated and even, even a lot of the sciences, uh, when you get again, you know, uniformitarian geology, that's not, a, not going to exist one day because it's, it, it just doesn't match the facts. Darwinian evolution, there is enormous amount of science and there always has been. Um, that just isn't, it isn't true. The math. Yeah. That's objective. There is science that is objective and empirical that also completely fits in with a biblical worldview. Obviously, you know English. But there's there's a lot of garbage. That's a whole other conversation. Like, what in school are you learning that's just not true at every level? And it turns out it's a lot, man. But del- deliberately not true.
4: Yeah, deliberately like misleading you on purpose.
5: Yeah. Yeah, and I wouldn't say everybody is doing that. Some people just... A lot of epistemology, which is just a big word for how you know things, ultimately has to come from, I trust this other person. You know what I mean? Whether you're reading it from a textbook, very little of what you know comes from you seeing it or observing it. And even then, that's not always dispositive. You know what I mean? Uh, So a lot of what you're taught is taught by people who were taught it. And so, you know, now but but a lot of the stuff can be traced back to people who knew that well, what they were teaching is is just their opinion.
4: Right. But then you also have to look at like the Freemasons or, or the secret societies. A lot of the evolution and NASA was all built on Freemasonry.
5: Yeah, that's and that's something that I can't talk about as nearly as as articulately as some, some other things. But there is a lot of I mean, you read that in Scripture, right? People who suppress the knowledge or suppress the truth out of unrighteousness. It shouldn't surprise you that those people actually exist. When Scripture says that there are going to be people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, those people are going to have a history. They're going to have an identity. It's going to show up in a certain form. Do you know what I mean? It's not like this nebulous, like, they're going to have names. Their groups are going to have names. The ideas are going to have a specific uh you know weight to them they're gonna have a specific subject to them so i does it surprise me that that happens my it should, should be completely predictable
4: well this is a very interesting interesting subject i you know i didn't know we were going to go in this direction um but you know it definitely raises a lot more questions it's going to raise a lot more questions for my audience you know on you know Giants, Nephilim, the Bible, evolution, NASA, the whole thing, and that's my thing is searching for truth. I don't know the answers. I never claim to know the answers, but I'm in search for them. And yeah. I hope my audience, you know, I hope my audience loves the fact that I'm like that. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm curious. So, Mark, yeah, uh, same. Let, let me see your books. Show your show your books one more time for my audience, and and tell people where they can find you and your books one more time.
5: If you want to, well, I don't talk about my books much on Twitter. Um, and I don't really update my website, so Leviathan, Fallen, uh, yeah, they're eight bucks on Amazon. Yeah, they're they're good. <laughs> and, and if y'all buy them, it'll motivate me to finish the third one. They're, How long did I it just, take you to write those books? Those are, those are big
4: books. Those are pretty oh, extensive. Man, they,
5: um, probably three years apiece. Three years. Like wow. I'm a practicing physician with four kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and mean, it, it it it's tough to find that time to like lay down some words. But I did it. You got, a hell of a, um, you got to have a um, hell of imagination. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
5: Well, so for this last one, though, like all I'm doing is taking everybody that I created in the first two books and just, you know, killing them <laughs> or, or, or making them so bad that they die in the flood. And um, it's like the story's mapped out for the third one. That's the easy one. You know what happens yeah. in that one? Yeah. Everything, everybody dies in the flood. So what's my problem? <laughs> how, how long are the books? How many pages each are they? uh first one's i think like a hundred and ten thousand words like 420 pages wow um yeah maybe like 110 120 oh they, they both are just about 420 that's pretty good yeah that's impressive man
4: yeah it's real impressive so uh they're everybody good. mark huffman thank you i'm gonna put this uh creationist explains why evolution is a lie or whatever i'll, I'll figure yeah, out sure. the title for this. sure um i appreciate you mark coming on let's do another segment at some
5: at some point soon oh yeah Th- these are huge topics with so much to talk about
4: yeah I, this is then my audience i gotta tell them this is went in a direction i wasn't expecting so we just kind of <laughs> we just kind of went off the cuff here so yeah. appreciate you mark thank you for joining me thanks man god bless you okay talk soon you too all right god bless bye